Hey everyone, it's Chad Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about encountering Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of our Easter weekend. We have a ton going on, from a Good Friday service to an Easter egg hunt to our Easter service and Easter brunch, and I think all of them are going to be awesome. And if you're in our area, I would love to have you be a part of them. You can get all the information you need at wilsonville.church slash Easter. That's wilsonville.church slash Easter. That page doesn't only have information about our Easter weekend. It also has a button to register for our Easter service. If you do that, there's some special benefits like we'll meet you in the parking lot, introduce you to some people, and help you get your kids checked in if you have kids. But for Easter, the first 25 people to register will get an Easter basket at the Easter service. And so I hope you'll take advantage of that. We'd love to be able to bless you. And again, love to be able to see you at our Easter weekend events. Hey, one more time, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So I know that some of you know this story, and you'll have to forgive me if you've heard it used as a sermon illustration before, but I don't know, like four maybe years ago, I was called by, by my, my wife's grandpa. Is that a grandpa-in-law? Can you say that? My grandfather-in-law. And he said, hey, can you come clean my gutters? And I said, sure, I'll do that at some point. And I, I finally had the opportunity to do it, and it was uh, a rainy day and their gutters are up pretty high, and so I'm out there on this ladder that was a pretty nice ladder, might have been just like this, but much taller, right, and, and there's this spot, they, they have uh, this rose bush that is 18 miles wide or something like that, I mean, it's like impossible, and it sits up against the gutters, and so I'm not a grandson-in-law, now that I'm using that language, that is not going to get this little corner piece of the gutter, like it's not going to happen, and so I am like, and this is going to scare you even now, but I'm like out like this, and like hanging, and trying to get there, and all of a sudden, this leg, I think, in the mud, starts to spin on me, and I, I'm probably, upper body's probably 13, 14 feet in the air, right? And it's spinning, and I catch ladder, and, and I'm going down, and I fall, and I land on top of the ladder. And, and I'm sitting there on top of this ladder, like, I, I'm not joking, I'm not making this up. I think, am I dead? That's my, literally my first thought, like, am I dead right now? I, think, I, don't, I don't think I am. Uh, Thought number two, and this happens a lot, right? Like people get very hurt on ladders. I think, am I paralyzed? Like, can I feel things? Am I good? And then I'm like, yeah, that's good. And, and then thought number three, am I seriously hurt? And, and, and I, I don't think I was. Uh, kind of the funny part of the story, not if you ask my wife, but my grandma-in-law and my wife were sitting in the window right inside of where I was, and they saw me go down, and they're yelling, are you okay? And I not caring what they're yelling about. I'm just trying to see if I'm dead, uh, but I'm not. And, and so they're like panicking. They come out. Everything seems fine except for the ladder was destroyed, never to be used again. Uh, but like two weeks later, there all of a sudden, it, it seemed like it was just swelling. There's this giant 
bump on my back. Like it looked like somebody had taken a softball and shoved it into my back. And so I think, ah, you know, that seems like where I landed, you know, like it, it was. Like I think that's what destroyed the ladder was there, you know. And, uh, and so it's not a big deal. And it, a month goes by and, and there's like this softball in my back and it won't go away. And I'm like pounding on it and like doing anything I can to get it to break up. So finally, after I don't know how long, I decide to go to the doctor, and uh, I don't have this doctor anymore, not because of this story, but I had this doctor, uh, Dr. Lou, and Dr. Lou is a funny guy. He's uh, not from America, and he has some uh, idiosyncrasies that don't align with what I understand culturally, and, and so I, I look at him, and like, hey, I got this thing. I hope it's not cancer, and he, he's like, I don't know what it is. You need to see a specialist. Okay, that's bad. So we spend like two days praying, like, like God, I don't want cancer. I'm looking it up. Muscle cancer is pretty rare, um, so that seemed good. WebMD told me anyway, and you know, and I'm like, I don't want it to be cancer. So Bryn and I, Bryn comes to the doctor, the next doctor appointment with me. You know, it's like that. You think you're going in to find out if you have cancer. That's what that's what we were picturing, and and we get in there, and this this girl. The doctor, I think, I don't even know who she was really. She walks in with a scalpel, like a little teeny, you know, like cut little pieces of paper scalpel. And she's like, all right, Dr. Lou told me it's a lipoma and we're going to remove it. You're going to carve me with that thing? That's what I'm, it's like this big. And she's like, yeah, he said it's, he said it's two to three, or no, three to four cin- centimeters. I'm like, no, lady, I don't know who you are or why you're trying to carve my back, but it's three to four inches. And she looks at it, she's like, oh, no, you, that, I can't cut this out right here. I was like, yeah, darn right you're not getting back there. <laughs> like, that's not happening. And, and so she's like, let me get you to another guy. whole time it's not cancer. Like nobody's ever thinking about cancer. Dr. Lou knew it wasn't cancer immediately. He just didn't care to tell me. So I see the second specialist, and he's like, yeah, we can cut that out. But, you know, in order to be 100% sure it's not cancer, we need to cut it out. It's not cancer, though, but I can't tell you that because I'm going to get sued if I'm wrong. He didn't say that, but that's pretty much what you hear. But we can cut it out, but it might grow back. And so it, the, the problem is it was causing, like, my back to feel out of line. And so we cut the thing out. cost me $1,200 out of pocket, which is better, I know, than many people who had had the surgery. But to us, it felt like an infinite amount. Paid it off over years or whatever. And I just noticed just the other day, it's pretty much back now. I am Quasimodo. I won't turn around so you can look. But uh, I I have this giant bump on this side of my back. It looks like a guy that's been working out too much on this side and not at all on this side. Uh, Giant, you can, I mean, just a giant chunk of fat right there in my back. And and what it does to me is it just kind of makes me sit in a weird way and I always feel like this tension in my back the reason I had it removed the first time and I tell you that very long story um, to to say this I know I'm going to live the rest of my life with lipoma it's just going to happen I'm going to have a giant chunk of fat on my back Many of you, it's your bellies, but for me, it's right there on my back. That's what I will live with for the rest of my life, and it will make me uncomfortable. I'll be in pain. It's, it's never going to get better. I'm not going to pay another $1,200 to have it removed for a couple years and, and keep doing that over and over. And life is just a little bit like that. There are things that will never get better. It's always going to to be there you're always going to have that pain you're always going to have that emotional struggle you're always going to fight that uphill battle in some area of life I uh, if you've ever heard me preach 
then, then you probably know this about me because I try to use it as an illustration all the time. I have MS. Uh, it just seems like it softens up a crowd when I tell them that. Multiple sclerosis. And, uh, and, and it's this thing that will never, it will never go away. I do fine with it if you're wondering, if you don't know. But there's always that fear and that like, is this aging or is this MS? Like, do I get dizzy really easy? Can I not sit on swings because I turned 35 or because I have MS? Like, when I feel tired, is it MS or is it not? Is it just that I didn't get any sleep because I have kids? And there's always this thing in me, like, this, this kind of what if. Like, what if, what if I lose my ability to walk? What does my job look like? And what does raising kids look like? It's, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be there and all of us have these things I'm not alone I'm not the only guy to fall off a ladder some people get a lot more hurt falling off ladders than I did praise God but all of us have things that we look at and we feel hopeless because we look at them and we just believe in our heart of hearts that they're never going to get better and here's my proposition this morning my proposition is this Apart from Jesus, you're right. It's never going to get better. But if you encounter Jesus, then he will heal all eventually. It may not be on your timetable. It may not even be in this life. But eventually, all will be healed. And I know you think like, yeah, but my stuff is too big or too bad or I'm too far gone or Jesus can't really heal this. And, and, and the stories that we look at today are, are stories that are meant to say there is no problem too big, there is no pain too bad, there is no wound too deep that Jesus will not heal them. There is nothing too big or too far gone. Uh, the stories we're going to look at today, this is so interesting to me. You may not be interested in this at all, but I'm really interested. In the Synoptic Gospels, which is the Gospels that are similar. There's four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and three of them are very similar. They're called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and all three of those Gospels, those stories, those testaments of Jesus' life, these two stories intertwine each other. And it's really interesting because they seem to have a point beyond themselves. And I've already told you what I think the point is. And that's that Jesus will heal all eventually. But the stories go together. There is similarity and there's seemingly uh, intentional differences. And I think it all, points, it all points to the fact that Jesus will heal all. And here's, here's how the first story begins in Matthew 9, 18 and 19. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him, that's Jesus, and said, my daughter has just died, come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. So this synagogue leader is a, a big deal. I mean, the synagogue was kind of like the local church. There was just one in a town for Jewish people, and they'd come. And, and this guy is the leader over that group. But the part I really want you to notice is that he comes to Jesus. And I've kind of just glossed over this in the first two sermons in the series. But there is, this, there is this thing that happens in all of these encounters with Jesus, and it's that the people actually come to Jesus. It's impossible to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus if you don't come to Jesus, if you don't approach Jesus. And I don't, when I say come to Jesus, I don't mean just become a Christian, although that's the 
the key step, the key thing is to give me life. I just mean, like, you're never going to have an encounter with Jesus if you, never, if you never say, Jesus, help me have faith, and Jesus, I want to know more about you, and, and you never show up at a church and try to learn about Jesus. Like, you'll never have a life-changing encounter. In the first story we looked at in this series, these two demon-possessed guys, for whatever reason, it says that they met Jesus when he was getting off the boat. In the story of the paralyzed man last week, it says that his friends brought him to Jesus. And then in our story this week, this man comes to Jesus. I'm telling you, like there's things in your life that, that you think, like Jesus just helped me. But he's, he's not going to if you don't come to him. There were lots of demon-possessed men. hope not too many, but there were probably a lot of demon-possessed men. There was a lot of paralyzed people. And there was a lot of people with sick children but only some approached Jesus and asked for help. And so Matthew does this. I, I, don't, I don't love this about Matthew, although I like the gospel of Matthew probably best out of the three I just mentioned. He condenses stories down. And so his book is the longest, but, but his stories lack detail that, that make the story more interesting. Matthew's goal in writing the book of Matthew is to look at Jewish people and say, Jesus really is the Messiah. But the other two, Mark and Luke, they have different intentions in their writings. And so the stories get uh, deeper and, and they're, they're in, in some ways, Mark is like very action-packed. I always tell people, like, if you've never read through the Gospels, if you want to know more about the life of Jesus, then read Mark. I've heard a lot of pastors say John, and it's interesting to me because, like, I've been a Christian a long time. I have uh, quite a bit of higher education in the area of biblical studies and I find John to be pretty confusing because John is an artist who doesn't ever tell you what he really means but Mark is like check out this story it was crazy dude that's how I picture Mark starting all of his story it was crazy man let me tell you what happened first there was this demon possessed dude he was going crazy that's how Mark's written and Mark gives us just more detail about this story like the guy's name his name was Jairus I don't know that helps me I like thinking about Jairus, right? Like he's an interesting guy. Uh, Jairus, cool name. I like that name. Uh, the girl was his only daughter. For me, that really connects because I have one daughter. And the fact, uh, the idea of, of this man's only daughter being at the point of death is, it's like the, it's like the greatest fear I have. I mean, so Jairus is living in the midst of my, my greatest fear with his only daughter on the verge of, of death. She was about 12 years old. Uh, Matthew doesn't show us this, but when he, he first gets to Jesus, the, the girl has not died yet. And, and we read it in Matthew, she's kind of, it says dead or on the point or on the verge of death. And, and Matthew kind of skips over that she's dying part. Uh, so she's not dead. And this man, and this Mark tells us this, he falls down on his knees and he pleads earnestly or he begs Jesus to do something about the problem that he's facing about his daughter being on her deathbed. That, that's interesting. It's, it's more, it connects with us, right? If your only child was dying and you heard that the guy was coming into town that might just maybe, could maybe possibly heal her, you'd come to him and you'd fall on your knees and you'd beg him to do something about it. And that's exactly what Jairus does. And by the way, remember, he's a religious leader. The religious leaders, they don't like Jesus. This is like, this is like socially a little bit uncomfortable of a moment. Like he knows that his colleagues are looking at him and it's like, wait, like you're not, you're not becoming one of them. You're not, 
you're not going to follow him too, are you? He's against us, he's not for us. We talked about this in my sermon last week. I mean, he, he's a threat to us. And he falls on Jesus, or he falls at Jesus' feet, and he's begging Jesus to heal. Here's, here's the deal that, that maybe we don't recognize in ourselves. We're all desperate. I, I mean, all of us have climbed up on a ladder, physically or metaphorically. We've climbed up and we've fallen off, and it's left us in a place where there is something in our lives where there's no chance for healing. It's just not, it's not going to happen. Like, you know. You absolutely know. Maybe you came to church this morning because you know it's never going to get better. And the only difference between Jairus and you, the only difference sometimes between Jairus and Chad, is that this man recognizes a problem in his life that will never get better and sees that that makes him desperate for Jesus, where I can be a person who just just tries. Like if I just massage it enough, you know, if I just work at it enough, if I just see the right doctors, then maybe it'll get better. Instead of admitting there's no hope here, there is no healing, there is no chance if Jesus doesn't do something. And so he approaches Jesus desperate for healing. I I would just offer, I mean, I'll just say this morning, like, If that's you, if you look at part of your life and you say there's no chance, there's no healing here, it's never going to get better, then you just need to keep coming to Jesus and falling at his feet and saying, please do something about this. It's really interesting what Jesus does. He doesn't have a conversation with this guy. He just starts walking in the book of Matthew. He just, he starts walking. And and so they're headed. Now think, you just got to, the It's just important, I think, for this story to be a good story. Like, you have to think, like, they're walking as this man's daughter is about to die. And then in verses 20 and 21, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Notice she comes to Jesus, too. It's really important. And again, we need to rely on Mark for more details here. She'd suffered bleeding for 12 years, uh, but she had also suffered under the care of many doctors. Like she had spent her life savings going from doctor to doctor to doctor to try to find a solution for her bleeding problem. And not only that, we don't think in these terms, but... But this bleeding would have meant that she was religiously unclean, which meant that it would have ruined her social life. She would have not just been like uncool. She would have been a social outcast. I mean, this was, I don't know why I connected with this the, the most, but, uh, but there's, she, if she sat somewhere, then that thing could no longer be sat on. Think about living like that. Like if you're at the doctor's office and you're in the waiting room, if you sit there, then, then they need to get rid of the chair. Like how much would that Just, I mean, I know it's such a simple thing, but how much would that change your life, right? How much would that ruin your life? She probably could not cook meals for her family. I mean, in a culture that would have been, uh, you know, where a woman would have just done some of the, the things that in America we don't think women can only do anymore, and I'm thankful for that, but like just, you know, cook and clean, that's, that was kind of the life for a woman. And, and now you say, you, you don't have a purpose, Like, you no longer have a purpose. You can't do the things that women do in our society anymore. That's it. This is her situation. There's there's no chance. She's not going to get healed. It's awful. Everything is, everything for her is absolutely awful. In Luke, it actually says, I love this, no one could heal her. 
And this woman hears that Jesus is passing through on his way to Jairus' house. Jairus, Jairus' house, headed there. And she has a plan. It's an audacious plan. I'm just going to touch the hem of his garment. Do you know the tassels? If you're around, if you've been around, we gave away tassels a few weeks ago. It, it could be that she was just trying to touch this religious tassel that hung from kind of the wing of his outer garment. She thinks, if I can just touch it, then I can be healed. But here's, this is the fascinating part. She, she can't touch anybody without making them religiously unclean. And so for her to walk up in front of Jesus and be like, you know, like that, she's going to be looked at as horrible. Like, you just made that guy, uh, that was not good acting, I know, thank you for enjoying it, though. Like, she, she is going to make him religiously unclean so that he has to purify himself. So she thinks, it's a crowd, I'll just, I'll just find a way to get a hand on him, to just touch his outer and in Mark, more details emerge. Mark 5, 30 through 32. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she knew she was healed, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. This woman cannot be healed by anybody, and yet Jesus heals her. And this is the point of this, this story and these stories is that Jesus, Jesus can heal all, and he will heal all eventually. A faith-filled encounter with Jesus will heal everything eventually, eventually. Now, I just, again, imagine Jairus' emotions here. Like, he's headed, his daughter's dying, and, and Jesus is stopping to ask who touched him in a large crowd. Like, you could imagine the animosity, the tenseness, the anxiety, it's the worry, the stress. Like, Jesus, let's go. And, and I, there's, oh man, this, is, this story is just beautiful. Consider the different places these two are in life. Here's a woman who is religiously unclean, a social outcast, barely can spend time with her family. And here's the religious leader in town. And Jesus has time for both of them. I think what the other religious leaders, uh, you know, what a lot of us would like Jesus to be more like, hey, fix the guy who's done everything right, who's normal, who fits in, you know. And Jesus is like, I have time for him. I got time for this guy who's wealthy and religiously solid, you know, at least in the world's minds and a leader in his community. I have time for him and I have time. I have time for this woman. And he heals this thing that is impossible to heal. In Matthew 9, 22, he says it this way at the end of the story. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you and the woman was healed at that moment. In Mark 9, 34, it adds, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now listen, I think that there's two absolutely key themes that arise in Matthew 9, 22, and it's in that one phrase, your faith has healed you. The first thing is faith. We talked about faith last week, but it's important that we bring it up again this morning. It, it is, if you're gonna be healed by Jesus, it, it it requires faith in Jesus' ability to heal you. Like you have to have faith. 
that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is the one that can save you, that he is the one that can bring healing even when it is impossible for you to be healed. He is the one who can fix whatever happened when you fell off the proverbial ladder of life and you look and you go, it hurts, it's never gonna get better. You have to believe that Jesus is the one who can heal. You have to have faith in that. We talked about that last week, that faith is not just this mental belief, but it's a belief that says, Jesus, look, I I believe it and I will come to you and I will give you my life because you're the only hope here. You're the only hope. But there's this other theme that's really important and, and, and it doesn't show up in English, but the Greek word that's behind healed there is this word sozo, which for any you know, one-year Greek students, it's a, very, it's a very known word because it's the word for saved. That's what it means. And, and mostly in the New Testament when this word saved is used, it's talking not about physical healing, although it sometimes is. It's talking more about spiritual healing. And by the time Matthew writes this book to a church and says, look, here's a story you all need to know about Jesus, they all would have read this word and said, hey, that sounds, I mean, yeah, he probably healed her, but that's that's the word for salvation. That's about spiritual healing. And in this moment, what we see Jesus saying, I believe, is your faith has not only made it so that I could heal you physically, it's made it so that you can have salvation You can have forgiveness for your sins. You can look forward to a life in eternity where there will be no more problems. I think that this phrase, your faith has made you well, has healed you, I think it's the key to understanding both of these stories. Jesus is saying, if you place your faith in him, then all will be healed eventually. But he takes this lady's eyes off of just this momentary healing and says, look, it's bigger than this. It's about what I will do for you in eternity. Let me be super clear, and maybe I'm, I'm kind of jumping the gun here on this, but you might not know this, but this woman's dead now. Like she's no longer on this earth. And the reality is that we all live with problems that are unfixable this side of eternity. Jesus can heal all of your financial problems, all of your marital problems, all of your emotional problems, all of your physical problems, everything that you deal with, and you're still moving towards the grave. And Jesus, in the middle of these two stories, stops and says, your faith, it hasn't just made you well. It hasn't just allowed for me to make you better because that's unimportant. It's made it so that you can be saved eternally. Your faith has made it so that you will be healed of all things. It just probably won't happen in this life. What we need to understand is that, and we talked about this last week, I mean, we we want Jesus to heal us now, but if we've fallen off the ladder and if there's things in our life there's no hope for, then we must rely on Jesus. And Jesus may not fix it, he may not heal it, he may not make it all better while we walk this earth, but he will heal all eventually. I think what we do is we say, Jesus, I want you to heal me, and then Jesus doesn't heal us, and we're mad at him, and Jesus is saying, look, go, I mean, if you want, you can try to get it healed some other way. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. But in me, you will have the healing that you so desperately desire. I think a lot of people run from Jesus 
because of their hurts and their struggles and their pains and the things that they need healing from. And they run and run and run from Jesus. But shouldn't you just turn around and go towards Jesus because you know there's no other way it's going to be healed? Like, like think about my lipoma, right? Let's just, let's just give two options. Here, I believe that either one, I can place my faith in Jesus. I can say, Jesus, I believe that you have the power to heal this thing now. Take it away. Shrink it. I'll have my church pray. And it might go away. That's fine. But it will go away when I get to heaven. Paul talks a lot in 1 Corinthians 15 about this glorious body that we're looking forward to. I'm going to have a six-pack and no fatty back. That's what's going to happen. I didn't even mean to rhyme that. That was the best line I've ever said in a sermon. <laughs> Write it down. Put it in the front of your Bibles. <laughs> you know, that's, that is, it's all downhill from here for the rest of my preaching career. That's what I'm looking forward to. And if Jesus does it now or later, it's still only him that's going to do it. Or I can say, Jesus, I got this lipoma. I fell off the ladder. I wish you would have held me up, you know, and I wish you wouldn't have let me fall. But since you did, why don't you just fix the thing? Why don't you just heal the thing? I reject you. And then I have no hope at all. I mean, there's only really two good choices, right? Like you, you come to Jesus and you place your faith in Jesus and you say, well, I believe you're going to heal it. I hope you heal it today because I like, you know, to not be uncomfortable when I'm sitting. But, but I believe you'll heal it in eternity. Or you just reject Jesus and you don't come to him and then it will never be healed. It's only uh, going to be downhill after you die and not uphill. We do this funny thing where it's almost like we're, I don't know, like we're mad at God because he hasn't healed everything. You can be mad at God if you want to. That's fine. David in the book of Psalms is mad at God a lot. But he never turns and walks away from God. He's like, God, I can't believe you're not fixing this. I can't believe you're not healing this. But I'll keep serving you because there's no healing anywhere else. That's Job. If you know the story of Job in the Old Testament. I mean, God allows for the, the worst things to happen to Job. It's horrible. He doesn't do them. He allows for them to happen. Satan does them. And, and God allows for those things to happen. And Job's wife is like, just curse God and die. Your children are dead. Your money's gone. You're in pain. It's horrible. Just curse God and die. And Job's like, uh, I have no other hope. I'm not happy with God. I don't like this. Wish he'd heal me and fix everything, but... What am I going to do? And so he falls on the ground and he worships God. That's what he does. If there's anything in your life that, that will never be healed, I would say come to Jesus and place your faith in him because it's the only way that you're going to be saved. You may not be healed this side of eternity, but it's the only way you're going to be saved. And in the midst of Jesus talking to this woman in Mark 5, 35 and 36, we read, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, this is a key line too, and I know it's in Mark, it's kind of cheating, but it's such a key line. Don't be afraid, just believe. Fear drives so much of of what we do. I don't think we think of it like that, especially, I think, uh, males. We, we, can, we can mask fear in a lot of other emotions. I'm just angry, or I'm just angry, or I'm just angry. That's usually what it looks like. But fear of what people think of us and fear of, 
know, what might happen if and fear of what could have been and fear of not being good enough. Like fear drives so much of what we do. And it's so interesting. I, I just think it's fascinating that Jesus doesn't say, don't be sad, just believe. That's what I would have said to somebody. Like, don't be sad, just believe. But Jesus says, don't be scared. Just believe. Just believe that I have the power to heal. I'll just say, I think that that, that line, again, goes far beyond these stories. I think God is looking at you through this passage of Scripture and saying, you know, whatever you think about God, whatever is the hang-up in giving Him your life and coming to Him, don't be afraid of it. Don't be scared. Just believe. Just trust Him. Just place your faith in Him. Just give your life to Him and just see what happens. Just see what happens. It might not be exactly what you want. might not be exactly what you planned, but just see. And I, I think that most of us who have been Christians for a long time, I, I, I think I can say this for the rest of the people that fit into that category, we would tell you, man, our journey with Jesus has not been exactly what we thought. It hasn't been exactly what we want all the time. But, oh, man, I'm super glad that I just said I'll believe despite the fear of what that might look like. And I think Jesus' words go just, I mean, these stories aren't here to say, hey, he healed a couple people. They're here to point to something bigger, and I think it's here to say, hey, place your faith in Jesus, because that's the only place That's the only place you can find real salvation, real healing. It's the only place where you're guaranteed to have future healing. A- and also, don't be scared, but just believe. Matthew 9, 23 through 25, the story concludes, and it says, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. These are professional mourners, uh, they're paid. This was like a thing that Jews had to do. It sounds like the worst job in the world. You just show up to funerals and cry. I don't know. Maybe some of you would be good at that. But I would hate that job. And they laugh at him. They're not even earning their paycheck at that point, are they? Like, you're supposed to be crying. Like, what are you doing laughing? Uh, and they laugh at him. And then he puts this crowd out, and he went in, and he took the girl by the hand. And she got up. She comes back to life. Mark at Luke, it tells us that even the people were crying and wailing loudly. They were mourning for her. They knew she was dead. This was impossible. She was never going to be healed. She was gone. It was over. And Jesus walks in, says, the girl is not dead but asleep. Here's the reality that you need to understand because of the gospel story. Let me explain what that is. That's the story that we are all sinners and that sin, it, it, it brought in to the world all of the problems that we face. All of the things that will never get better, like lipomas or cancer or bad relationships, all the things that we look at and say, this will never get better, all of those things came into the world because you and I sinned. And God sat in heaven, he saw the sin problem. He said, those people will never break free from that sin. They are destined for an eternity of problems, of pain, of suffering. It will never get better, but I'm going to do something about it. And he came out of heaven, onto earth, into earth, in the person of Jesus. He lived perfectly, never giving in to that sin problem. And at the end of that life, he died a brutal, horrific death where he paid hell for each and every one of us by being beaten and tortured and hung on a cross. Three days later, on the day we mentioned earlier, he got out of the grave, and in doing that, he conquered 
all of sin and all of death. And what it allows for us to believe is that every problem that we face, everything that we deal with, it's not dead. It's just asleep. Like it's going to wake up someday. When Jesus calls us home because we die or when Jesus returns to this earth, it's going to wake back up. You see, this little girl is also dead. <laughs> She's dead. The woman who was bleeding is dead. The, the girl is dead. They are dead. They don't walk around on this earth anymore, but we believe because they chose to believe despite their fear and because they placed their faith in Jesus that when they breathed their last breath on this earth, they, they came back to life in heaven. The reality of the story of Jesus that I think is being taught in these passages of Scripture is that all of our problems, all of our lipomas, all of our cancer, all of our difficulties, all of our struggles, all of it, it may never get better on this earth, but if we come to Jesus and place our faith in Him, then those things are just asleep. And someday they will be alive again. They will be better. They will be fixed. They will be healed because a, a faith-filled encounter with Jesus will heal all eventually. And I know, I know it's hard because we're so short-sighted. It's hard to say, well, in eternity will be better. I get that that's difficult. But there's no other place to turn. It's not going to get better in any other way. And I am sorry, and I mean that, that Jesus doesn't choose to heal everything right now. I wish he did. But these stories are not here to say, hey, magically pray. If you have enough faith, if you do whatever you need to do, if you jump through enough hoops, if you give enough money, then Jesus can heal you. It's not here to say that. It's here to say that when it seems hopeless, when it seems dead, if you'll place your faith in Jesus and have an encounter with him, it will turn the dead to just sleeping and it will come back to life again someday that's it and I'll tell you even if you find it hard to believe in all of this Jesus stuff this is an idea that can't be ignored you may reject it but you ought not ignore it because there is no other way will be healed it's Jesus and only Jesus. That's it. That's your chance. That's your shot. And I know so many people that seem to hope that the whole Jesus thing isn't real. But we should be hoping it is real. We should be hoping that it's true. Because we look at suffering and there's people dying that don't have food around the world and there's hurt and brokenness. and It's like I believe it's true but I just really want it to be true too. Because there are things that will never get better, that will never be healed apart from Jesus. But these stories tell us that a faith-filled encounter with Jesus will heal all eventually. Matthew 9.26 concludes the, the passage and it says news of this spread all through that region it's worth spreading isn't it i mean like these types of healings that that jesus cares that jesus loves us it's, it's amazing uh, but i want to give you this quote the two stories of jairus daughter and the woman in the crowd show this 
An encounter with Jesus changes a person. And it changes many people. This story, these stories, they stand here to say that Jesus heals all eventually. And my hope, this is just what I hope for you this morning. I hope that, that for you, you'll look inside and, and you, know, you know some of the things, right? I don't have to like give you a bunch of examples. You know some of the things that you're like, this is never going to get better. And my hope is that, that just one of two things, like if you're not a Christian, if you've never come to Jesus, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, at, at least explore that option more. Come to Jesus. Just see, just find out, like, is this real? Is this true? Is, this, is there any way for me to come to a relationship with him? Is there any evidence for this? Just at least come to him and find out because there's no healing anywhere else. And then, and then, like, if you're a Christian, and I know it can feel hopeless, you're like, I love you, Jesus, and yet you let this thing happen, and it's still here, and it's not going away. Come on, like, what's happening? I, I would encourage you with these, just to really think about these words. We kind of know this to be true. Uh, but it, it should be, this should be a part of our life, a part of our emotions, a part of what we think about, a part of what drives us. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. This is the end of the story. This is Jesus saying, this is what eternity looks like. And this is John saying, this is what I heard eternity will look like. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to these words. Memorize these words. Know these words. Let them just, every time you, you think, man, I'm in pain or like emotionally I'm off or like th- these words should be on the tip of your tongues. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Let me read that again. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. You have struggles. And some of those things will never be healed on this earth. But an encounter with Jesus will heal all eventually. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, <laughs> I hate my lipoma. I hate so many of my other problems that I... didn't talk about today and I am so thankful at the same time God that I've come to a, a place in my life where I believe that all of those things will be healed by you I'm quick to forget that Lord because it's funny eternity seems uh so little sometimes to us and the present seems so big at least to me God but I pray that all of us would think in opposite terms of that because eternity is eternal, God, and this is just temporary. Lord, I don't know why you don't choose to heal every single person. You do choose to heal people, and I've heard miraculous stories, God. I I said last week, I think in my prayer last week, I prayed to you, God, that, that at this church we pray for things, and then you do things, and it's incredible, and we don't think about that enough. But, God, um... There's so many things that you don't heal. People die. People get sick and they die. 
People die in car accidents. People get in car accidents and their bodies never get better. And it can feel so hopeless, Lord. But I thank you that there are stories like these two that are incredible reminders that you will heal all. And I pray, God, that the people who sit in front of me, those who will listen online, which will be a lot of people this time because of spring break, I pray, God, that they, that they would not just b- believe God, but they would take hope in, they would find comfort in, they would find even joy, God, in the fact that you will heal them and that the pain and the suffering and the emotional damage that they live with, that, God, eventually it will get better. You'll heal it. And I pray, God, for those who are not believers, that you would remove their fear and that you would help them, God, to find, to have faith in you. And for those of us that are believers, I pray the same thing. Help us not to fear, but help us to believe. And help us, God, to to really and truly embrace that every tear, every pain, every struggle will go away because of what you did for us on the cross. It's hard, Lord, but help us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.